Today's show is brought to you by WarbyParker.com. Get a free five-day home try-on at www.WarbyParkerTrial.com slash HoldyBackboard. Five pairs, five days, 100% free. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's three ways of time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now. All right, everybody, welcome to the 60th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in ice cold Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, man. Every every podcast that ends with a zero, it just feels so much more special. And it, it is it is snowy as shit in Southern Oregon. I had myself a snow day and uh, played 2K for a, a while. No, I, I play with uh, one of my best friends. I'd say he and you are probably my two best friends. So we play 2K together. We're pretty damn good. But it, we play three on three, so the third's almost always bad. I had to put on my try-hard pants and try-hard shirt just for us to win, like, two games today. So if I'm a little bit frustrated, it's because I sucked at 2K almost on a snow day. It's not because of the Blazers. It's because of my... You know what? It, it was not my fault whatsoever. I, I would get, like, seven assists, five points, steals, and blocks. I was, I was killing it today. Anyway, bragging about my 2K prowess might be a little boring. I need to start bragging about my record predicting prowess because your boy went perfect on these last three games predicting a 2-1 and one week. Portland picks up a much-needed win uh, to stop the bleeding against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, back last Wednesday, the 28th, they defeated the Kings at home, 102-89. Wasn't even as close as the final score indicated. They took a 13-14 to 14 point lead on the road in San Antonio, but just ran out of gas against the elite Spurs, uh, losing 110-94. And then on New Year's Day, they rang in 2017 with a very solid win without Damian Lillard uh, behind a career-high 43 from C.J. McCollum, uh, a 95-89 victory over the young Timberwolves. 2-1, and one, pretty good start. I think the talk around Rip City is the defense is finally showing signs of life. Uh, four out of the past, I believe, six games, the Blazers have held an opponent under 100 points. They now are not the worst defensive team in the NBA on a per-points-per-game basis. They're actually up to 28th. They only give up 110.9 points per game. I'm, I'm, I think that's cause for celebration. Let's pop some champagne bottles uh, for that one right there. Friend of the show, Team Mom, Tara, said, Parenting Tip 101, you got to praise them when they do something right. So those three games, they were the second best defensive team in the NBA. That scheme was perfect for that two and a half games of basketball where they forced the big to give up the ball. Whether it was Boogie, LaMarcus, or Cat, they they hedged on him super hard and made it get it out of his hands and into someone else's hands. It was It was pretty nice. Pretty nice, but it's not rocket science. And I'm honestly a little pissed off it's taken this long because uh, for listeners to this podcast, we've been really saying this since day one. You can't play the pick and roll so conservatively. You cannot just leave NBA shooters wide open mid-range jump shots because they're going to hit them every single time. And finally, we decided not to let all world players beat us and let the Matt Barnes of the world try to, to you know take us down. 
and nine times out of ten, the Matt Barneses of the world are not going to have it in them. Yeah, I mean, God, your cat's so distracting. <laughs> uh, is it the Rally Kitty? Rally Kitty, he knows the Blazers are on right now. As in a winning streak, we're not recording during the game. No, as in we're talking about. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's on. I mean, I'm sure he knows when you sit and talk at a at your computer box, you're talking Blazers. Oh, he knows. If they get the fancy feast, if they get the job done, and they've been really impressed with the defense, and they've done it without Damian Lillard. And I've heard chatter on the internet that the Blazers are a better defensive team without Dame. Uh, I've got news for you. It has nothing to do with Damian Lillard not playing. It has everything to do with Terry Stotts finally making the necessary changes to his defensive philosophy and switching it up to playing the opponent that they're playing. Like you said, against the Toronto Raptors, they blitzed that pick and roll. They trapped those two guards, kind of gave them a fit. Lowry had a big night, but DeRozan was pretty silent. Uh, against the Kings and against the Timberwolves, we were not going to let Carl Anthony Towns and DeMarcus Cousins have their way with our bigs. Despite Towns being a really good passer, I think we did a very good job of forcing him to take shots he didn't want to and out of rhythm. You saw him take a lot of three-pointers early in the clock just because it was a decently open look and he didn't have two guys running after him. Cousins, yes, he had 28 points, but he was really the only one that had it going and he didn't get it going until late. So Portland did a very good job of getting their hands up. And I really want to give a lot of credit to the wings because not only did they do a good job of double teaming when they were supposed to, but they were almost like free safeties out there. So they would hover around Cousins and whenever the ball moved, they would stick their hands up and they would intercept it or knock it out of bounds just to disrupt the offense. And really, that's all what defense is about. It's just being alert. It's keeping your hands up. And it's the will. You have to want to play good defense. And it leads to offense. It leads to fast break points. It just, when you get that stop on defense, you all of a sudden don't have to score 110 points every single night. You don't have to play perfect basketball on that end of the court to, to feel like you have a chance at, at the win. Play devil's advocate. Because I don't think we could do most of the defensive things we do when CJ and Dame and Mason are on the court just because of people know that they're not the best defenders in the world. I think Alan Crabb on the floor gives them one more athletic, long-armed defensive player. Um, hot take, I just, once Dame goes back, they're not going to be a good de- defensive team because they'll rely on him too much. Some stuff's going to regress. I think once Dame comes back, there's going to be a little bit of, like, like two or three bad games on defense, and then we can see if this new scheme will work for us. I agree with your point to an extent that everyone right now realizes they have to up their game because their leader is out, and when he comes back, they might feel a calming factor and that sense of urgency isn't going to be um, as prevalent. However, I don't think Alan Crabb's an all-world defender. I mean, he plays with his hands up sometimes, gets in the passing lanes. Portland is, it's, it's, to me, it's the scheme. And I think it actually makes Dame's life a little bit easier because now he has help on the pick and roll and he doesn't look like he's getting just uh, annihilated on, on that, that set every single time because now he's got help. The ball handler is getting the ball out of his hands. Uh, he is able to do some double teaming. He is very athletic. He is the one that we saw early in the season um, and he still was taking charges, diving on the floor, 
really giving that that extra effort because we were we were seeing those wins and he wasn't having to do everything on the offensive end. Um, I think they're going to ride this momentum when with Dame coming back and it's going to be good. Uh, they're still not going to beat the elite teams. Uh, we got a couple of tough games coming up uh, against the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers within the first two weeks of, of the new year. But I think you're going to start to see more consistency, and that's what this team really lacked. I think earlier in the year we were losing to teams we had no business losing to. Uh, you look at the Dallas Mavericks as, as the primary example. Um, on December 21st at home, we lost uh, by one point, and that was all due to the fact that we gave up. Uh, we spotted them 24 points a half. Uh, you can't do that. You have to be almost like the Spurs in the sense 50-50 ball against the elite teams, and you have to beat the teams you're supposed to. That's what they do. You don't ever see the Spurs really losing to teams like the Pistons or the Pacers or just even the Nuggets. They handle their shit, and that's it's, it's consistency, and as boring as consistency is, it is so difficult to achieve. I think, I think we just have to see what happens when Dame comes back. I can definitely see the little bit, a few games of just bad basketball once he comes back because he has to. Everyone has to go back to their initial role. I mean, he's doubtful for tomorrow night at Golden State, but then we have the Lakers, the Pistons, the Lakers again, the Cavs, and the Magic, all winnable games. And to be honest, outside of the game against Cleveland, who knows if they're resting people or not. Portland shouldn't have a very difficult time defending. I know the Pistons gave us trouble last year, uh, but again, that was our old scheme uh, with that pick and roll where Reggie Jackson just dominated us in that third quarter and fourth quarter, Andre Drummond gobbling up every rebound. So I think that's really the test. Like, let's not, Golden State's going to put up 130. They're going to do this to everybody. So let's not say our defense is completely trash after that game. I think the two games that I'm looking at is going to be Saturday and next Tuesday. So you got Saturday against the Pistons at home, Tuesday in Los Angeles against the Lakers. The, the Lakers are a young team, picked up a win tonight. They're 13-25 and 25 on the year, better than I thought they would be. And young teams are really good and really energetic at home. And they, they've got a, a pretty solid young core, and Luke Walton is a very good coach. So they're going to play up for them, especially for, for the crowd that's going to be the test. Um, but I think you're going to want Dame back against the Lakers because he doesn't play any other team better than he plays the Lakers. And their announcers know it, their fans know it, and all of Rib City knows it. Man, I hope he does come back. I would sit him against the Warriors. I don't think there's any... any that game... I mean, you, you hate to already throw that one away, but like the Spurs game, we, we knew it's a loss. It's going to be a loss. How about we not lose by 35, 45 points like we did last time? And that's all you're looking for in that game. And we'll preview that a little bit later. But what you're looking for is just some competitiveness. That's all you want to see is competitiveness. And I really hope the Blazers saw that promo that ESPN was running. It was 30 seconds. People have you know shared it online, uh, up previewing the upcoming game because it is on ESPN. It is the, the Blazers and Warriors at 7.30 on Wednesday. And it is literally which warrior is going to go off. It's a 30-second highlight reel of Clay, Draymond, Steph, and KD. And at the end, it says, oh, Blazers versus Warriors. I mean, it's like we're their sacrificial lamb. And, and who who are they going to take out first? 
if that doesn't light a fire under your ass as a member of the Blazers, I, I don't know what's going to. Before we get too in-depth on the Warriors, it's been a few days since we've heard anything out of the media from George Carl, which is surprising since he was pretty much the trending topic all over the holiday season into the new year. First, it was about Kenyon Martin and Carmelo Anthony, J.R. Smith, talking about how kids with, you know, single moms and, and no dads in their life are pretty much, you know, I don't even know what, what he said in terms, I don't want to paraphrase, I want to find the actual quote. Um, it, it wasn't positive. No. And saying he's never going to win anything with Carmelo Anthony and this and that. To be honest, George Carl, I think, just needs to stay in his lane. He was one of the most, I think, overrated coaches. His teams never performed well at playoff time. You look at those loaded Sonics teams who only made the finals one year. Uh, they were the Sonic team that won 64 games in 1994 and lost a five-game series through the eight-seeded Nuggets, the first 8-1 upset in NBA history. Uh, the next year, they lost uh, again early in the playoffs. And that team had a, a history of doing that, and teams take on the identity of their head coach. I don't think anybody will ever dispute that. So it's not like he's out here with Greg Popovich type of rings, Phil Jackson rings. Uh, he's never worn a ring. And, you know, everyone used to think really highly of George Carl, but now he's coming out, and I think Terry Stotts really nailed, you know, the hammer on the nail of the, the, the nail. Well, I think <laughs> Terry Stouts really nailed it by saying, you know, if he wants any chance at the Hall of Fame to get an NBA job again, quite frankly, to be respected, he really needs to stay in his own lane. He doesn't know Damien. He doesn't know this team. Uh, so pretty much keep your name out my goddamn mouth is what he's saying. I absolutely hate what he says, and I disagree with what he said about Dame, with, about all those nuggets, but actually, I'm really glad Twitter doesn't have... Well, you, I'm sure you could go back in time. I I called the the, the, the that Denver Nuggets team thugs, but that was because they were beating the shit out of the Pornets. But I, th- I hate what he says. But on the other hand, I like what he said about in the media, players and coaches always give really boring answers when you know that they feel a different way. I And people complain about how the answers they give are boring. This guy gives wrote a book and talked about what he said, and some of it is offensive. I just think that we as fans and people on Twitter need to realize these boring answers are what... It's accepted, but I I just think that it, it's pretty interesting to see what a coach actually says about a player without a, the fear of getting fired. But the thing is, nobody asked him. He started saying it. It wasn't like somebody walked up to him on an interview on, on Inside the NBA and said, hey, can you really tell us about Carmelo Anthony? Nobody asked his fucking opinion on this. He decided to stir up some shit to try to sell a book, and he's piling dirt on, on players' names who, who didn't really ask for it. Yeah, especially the Dame thing. That, I think that was just completely uncalled for. I mean, even if the players asked for it, take, take the high road. Like, Kenyon Martin probably hasn't spoken to him in a few years. I mean, J.R. Smith, um, LeBron loves him as a teammate. And you, then you have Carmelo. Yes, Carmelo is never going to win a championship as a star player. We all know that, but we don't need your opinion on that, George Carl, especially with the way it was just wasn't worded very mm, no. properly. Like, I would... I mean... 
it's just low. I, I think it's un- unnecessary, unwarranted. And then to just say, oh, I, I, I was looking at the Blazers and wondering what the hell was going on there. Well, Terry Stotts, you know, he's my bud. I've coached him. He's my in my coaching tree, so certainly can't be him. Hmm. I think it's Damian Lillard just because he's a rapper. He has his own shoe deal, and it's got to be him. He's getting too much attention. Bull fucking shit. Dame is the leader of this team. The team goes as Dame goes, and why don't you take a minute to do some some research? He organized back-to-back trips to San Diego about a month and a half before the season starts. Other teams aren't doing that. He's picking up Luis Montero, the 15th man on the roster, and taking him to practice. Superstars aren't doing that. He's one of the most humble superstars the game has ever seen. And for someone just to make an assessment that it was Dame's fault, the team is struggling, uh, it's lazy, it's very ignorant, and frankly, it's a a, a cold-ass take. And... I think Terry Stott summed up all of Rip City's feelings as eloquently as possible because you could tell Terry was pissed. Terry seems like the kind of coach who was almost like a mama bear. Like he's going to protect his players at all costs. Like you, I can talk shit about my players in terms of like, hey, you're playing shit on defense or I need you to pick it up. But nobody else is going to say that about my guys. And I think that's how a lot of parents and a lot of family and friends feel about one another. And when you have an outsider come in making these just completely untrue statements, it's kind of lit a fuse. And I think Portland's actually played better since that's happened. And I think Dame is going to even play stronger too once he returns from this. Um, But I think that's really enough on George Carl. I I thought it was extremely random how all of a sudden he pointed the trailblazers out. Like he's, he has no ties to the organization outside of Terry Stotts, but I guess he felt like he was on a roll uh, with his publicity of the book that he decided he's going to give his unwanted opinion on something else that nobody wanted his opinion on. Uh, but hopefully that's that's the end of George Carl acting like an asshole. Are you tempted at all to read the book? No. I, I'm not going to... George Carl is the fan that runs out onto the field for the attention. I don't want to know their name. I could care less. Let's move on with, with our lives. Fair enough. But what the Blazers have had to do is they've had to move on without Damian Lillard, what was once thought to be just, you know, a sprained ankle to keep him out one, two games max. Uh, one, it looked nasty. That injury looked gross. has lingered. He missed seven games last year, and really his foot didn't feel right throughout the playoffs, which he has stated on record. But he injured it uh, the 23rd against the Spurs. He's now missed four straight games. Uh, likely five uh, tomorrow night in Golden State. I would be surprised if he plays against the Lakers Thursday. If you're not going to play Wednesday, then why Thursday? Um, give it just more time to rest. To be honest, we should be able to beat the Lakers without uh, Dame. Uh, but I, I would think he would be ready Saturday against the Pistons or even next Tuesday uh, against the Lakers. But this is the same time last year where Portland really turned it around. Um, and it really started with Damian getting hurt. And I think it's almost like a wake up call to these guys because he plays so well. He does everything for this team that I think the players have a tendency to, like you said, not necessarily play off to their potential, but not feel like their hundred percent production is needed for the team to win. Like, Oh, we've got Dame. He's got this. I can just, you know, chill a little bit. 
But once Dame went down, you're seeing production step up from so many players, and especially CJ McCollum. And I think this is what you want to see if you're a Blazer fan. CJ stepping out of Robin, Robin's cape, putting on Batman's for, for these four games, and he has just been a beast. He's averaged about 30 points per game in these four games. Uh, the Blazers are 2-2. Two and two. He had a career-high 43 against the Timberwolves, shot 16 of 25, uh, five dimes, three assists, three steals, one block, and just had his way with that Minnesota defense. I mean, Rubio couldn't guard him. Chris Dunn couldn't guard him. Uh, he was shooting from the logo. He was getting busy with, uh, against Townsend in the middle. Really showed that he's more than just this three-point assassin. And if you're a Blazer fan and you're really hoping that lightning can catch, you know, you can catch lightning in a bottle two years in a row, this was the first sign of it happening. Because it happened last year, I believe, it was a game in, in Sacramento where CJ carried us. It was a tough game. Uh, he put up a big performance and got us that win. And I just, for whatever reason, that game strikes me as one of the turning points in us getting really hot in January and February. I'm not saying it's going to happen again. It's a different, it's still, it's a different year. And so it's a little bit different bunch, but the, the signs are there. And I think if you can just get Dame healthy and CJ continue to roll, and everybody can play with that urgency. That's what we saw in the second half. It was, I need to be at my best. Dame needs to be at his best. CJ needs to be at his best. Then we can win. It's not, oh, Dame and CJ, you can be great. I'm just going to probably, you know, play 70, 80% and we might win. It's now it's like, okay, it, we really need everybody. I, I am, if I'm, you know, Mo Harkless or Aminu or Mason Plumley, it's like, I'm valued. I need to play 110% for, for us to have a chance at winning. Because that was the recipe for success last season. Do you think we're making getting the eighth seed or making the playoffs? I played schedule maker, and what I mean by schedule maker is I look at the schedule and I say, is that a winner? Is that a loss? Um, we're fifteen and twenty-one this year. I have us going a, like an inverse of our record last year. I think we're going to go thirty-eight and forty-four. So that would be essentially going five hundred the rest of the way it's probably going to be enough or you're going to be neck and neck with the Sacramento Kings or Denver Nuggets. Uh, that's the problem this year is there is seven pretty good teams. And then that eighth spot is just kind of hovering between like who really wants it. Exactly. And at, as I mentioned last year, when I, when I said we would make the playoffs way before, you know, a lot of people were, were on that wagon. Don't not trying to toot my horn, but we have, the two best players that anybody else really in that mix can outside of maybe Anthony Davis. I just don't know if the Pelicans are going to be able to continue this streak. They're only a half game behind Portland. Um, but that's the only other team. Is that I don't the, think that's the team that scared you if we were going for the eighth seed? I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think you can trust the Sacramento Kings. At no, all. I, I don't even think of them as a, a playoff team for real. You can't even think of the Denver Nuggets. They do not have that go-to player. They lost at home to the Sixers a while, uh, a few games ago. And I think it's really going to come down to Portland or New Orleans. Um, Dallas is too banged up. They're too... Let's be honest, they're tanking. They have their, they own their pick this year. Yep, Dallas isn't doing it. Minnesota's been an extreme disappointment. Um, Phoenix is ex- obviously in the rebuild mode. And then the Lakers. I don't think the Lakers... We're going to have a strong finish to the season. They have a chance to give up their pick or keep it if, if it's top three or top four. 
I believe it's top four, so they have incentive to tank because it's an extremely strong no, draft. No, uh, Lakers is top three. It's top three protected. Okay. I remember looking at it sometime. So the Lakers have incentive to tank. So you're really looking at Portland or New Orleans. And because backing into the eighth seed against the most super team of all time would be the most Blazers thing possible, you know the Blazers are going to do it. I would say the Blazers have, and I would say, an 80 to 85% chance of making the playoffs. Damn, I think 45 for Portland and then maybe like 40 for New Orleans and then 5 for Denver just because. It's about, if we keep playing defense like we have, yeah, we'll probably get the 8th seed. But if we regress to the what we were playing like before, I don't know. Well, we've also played four extra road games than New Orleans. So in our the, also the thing is our schedule is so home heavy towards the end of the season that I just don't expect. Right now we're nine and seven at home. That's shockingly mediocre. I expect that win percentage to severely increase as we get into the spring, just because the defense is playing a little bit better. I don't think we're that bad of a team. And the percentages have to start evening out. We're not going to start losing games to the Mavericks at home. We're not going to lose games like to the, the Raptors was a winnable game. We win that game last year, especially at home. I think it's going to start evening out, and we'll probably win 25-ish home games. So do you think keeping your the pick is crucial if we're the eighth seed? I mean, we get keep our pick regardless. Yeah, but... Let's say we can trade it for a usable player for the run. Do you do nope. it now? You take your pick. This is going to be one of the best draft classes in. It might be one of the best draft classes this this millennium. I think you 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 look at O three with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. You look at O eight with Rose and um, Russell Westbrook, and then you look twenty twelve Dame Drummond, AD. I mean that's a really good. Top three right there. Uh, I think it's got the it's got the potential to be up there. I've been watching a lot of college basketball this year because the Blazers have been terrible. Yes, it's point guard heavy, but this freshman class has been hyped up for a while, and for all the intended purposes, it is not disappointing. So even if Portland scrapes into the playoffs, as long as they're picking fifteenth, I think they still have some ammunition to move up a little bit, and I think a good player probably could fall down to them at fifteen. I mean, you're looking at a guy, um, for example, Ivan Rab. Sophomore from California, could have been a lottery pick last year, power forward, decides to stay to refine his, to, to, excuse me, retune his game, get even stronger coming in the NBA draft. Well, he's playing fine. He's actually a monster on the glass, but because this freshman class is so good, it's pushing him down a little bit. And so you're looking at a player at 15 that probably could have went 8-9 last year. That's a win for you. So is there any players that when you look at them, this is an all-star caliber player. Because I got my three, and Ball isn't on it. <laughs> Lonzo Ball's not? No, I hate the way he shoots. And I hate how... he. I just have a Gravis Vasquez vibe from him. Oh, I don't no. think... I don't he think way better than Gravis Vasquez. See, I was cautiously optimistic on Lonzo Ball. I... Watching that Ducks game, big Ducks fan, and I was, he, he really wasn't impressing. But then he caught fire, and it was an instant UCLA had that game in their control. Oregon came back to win. Uh, the following 
Friday. So they played Wednesday, they played Friday, watched him play at Oregon State. That game was close. Oregon State could have won that game. He took it over in the bat of an eye. He caught almost a, do you remember that play? I think it was maybe somebody threw it to Grant Hill when he was with Duke. He had the flat top. I mean, that's the iconic one-hand slam. He had uh, an alley-oop like that where he just jumped out of the gym, somehow caught it with one, brought it back down the two. And this is your point guard finishing like that. Then he's, you know, in transition, he is the best passing point guard I have seen come out of college uh, in a long time. Uh, the, fo- the floor vision he has is unparalleled. Yes, his jump shot scares me the way he shoots it, but he was knocking it down. And he's athletic. He has potential to, I think, guard multiple positions. And it's, it's really just, he, he reminds me a lot of a 6'6 version of Jason Kidd, if we're being honest. Damn. Cause I, I I I like Dennis Dennis Smith and uh, the guy from UW are the guys that I really like in uh, as point guards. I haven't seen Dennis. I haven't seen NC State play. I do know he tore his ACL last year, which scares, scares me. Scares me. But he kind of don't want to say these words. He kind of reminds me of CP. Uh, the explosion, the passing vision. I really like him. And then I I think the third guy that probably is gonna be a all-star is Josh Jackson from Kansas. He put up some good numbers tonight. He's putting up well-rounded numbers, which is what you want to see. He's got that great defensive potential. Um, you were talking about Markel Fultz. He's putting up big numbers, almost like a walking triple-double, but UW's not getting wins. That's really hard for me um, as a fan observing college talent is if you're supposed to be a top three pick, why aren't you leading your team to victory? It's the, I call it the Ben Simmons conundrum. Couldn't yeah. even... Could even lead his team to the, you know, there's 64 teams that make the the tournament, and you couldn't lead your team to any of that. But then you've got a guy like Andre Drummond, who really wasn't very good in college. But you look back, and it was, oh, his guards didn't give him the basketball. Um, so it'll be interesting. I'll get a firsthand look at Fultz this weekend when the Ducks go up to Seattle. Might catch Oregon State playing them as well, but he's got the makings of a dynamic, explosive point guard. He's six four two. I mean, you're looking at all of these point guards. You've got, um, what's his name? Darren Fox from Kentucky. He's 6'3". Your guy is 6'2", Dennis Smith. There is a point guard from France. I'm not even going to attempt to say his last name. First name is Frank. He's 6'5". Uh, you've just got this, this new age point guard. is coming in this draft class, and it's loaded. Then you've got who I think is a C.J. McCollum clone in Malik Monk, who had over 40 for, for Kentucky, uh, there's that vine of him going coast to coast, just like effortlessly going behind his back, shimming, taking the body, bending backwards and tossing in the end one. He's got some swagger to his game. Definitely a smaller shooting guard at, at 6'3", but you know he's going to get buckets at the next level. That's exactly how I felt about CJ. If you can score in a multiple of ways, catch and shoot, off the dribble, hesitation, um, with with the ball in your hands, you're going to be able to do that probably at the next level. That's what he can do. Uh, he's been impressive. But you asked me who my three are. I mean, right now it's probably Ball, Fultz. I haven't seen enough of Josh Jackson yet, but I like what I've seen from the box scores. And I would say maybe not for the Blazers because we have an identical player, but I, I love Malik Monk. I think you're going to get – he's never going to probably be a defensive lockdown, but – if you're cool with drafting a player like CJ McCollum or Monte Ellis, who is a bona fide 20-point-per-game score over the duration of their career, 
go after him because he has the chance to be special, especially if you have a more defensive-minded point guard and you can just let him run wild and get buckets for you. But um, I've watched a lot of Pac-12 basketball. TJ Leaf is a player who's projected to go to Portland in Chad Ford's latest mock draft. He is a 6'10", 225 freshman. The dude does not miss. Like He is money for mid-range. Uh, he definitely needs to put on more weight, but you can see the potential there. He's got pretty good athleticism. Saw him throw down a couple dunks, catch a couple lobs. Um, I think the most intriguing player to me is still Harry Giles. You've got this player who, despite tearing one ACL then tearing the other, was still the consensus number one prospect. He's finally getting minutes at Duke. If you're a team like Portland and maybe you don't make the, the playoffs, but you're sitting there at 10 and maybe he doesn't set the world on fire at Duke, but he's still showing signs maybe of, of potential. He's a guy where you might gamble just because you're Portland, you're a small market and there's the why the fuck not factor. It's almost like the Bucks taking Giannis, then they then they like, well, we hit a home run with Giannis at, at, at you know, later in, in the draft. Let's take Thon Maker this past year at 10. Like, why not? Like, you're Milwaukee. Free agents just aren't going to go there. Um, you have to build through the drafting. Really, you have to take chances. And sometimes going for the home run, you'll strike out, but sometimes you might get lucky. And I think if you're Portland... It might be a why not, but it might be tough to take him because this draft is so deep and you've got guys, like I mentioned, Ivan Rabb, uh, TJ Leaf. There is the um, small forward out of Indiana, OG, Inanobe. Yeah, that, that name is hard to pronounce. I wasn't I mean, even going to This is the all-articulate name. Or, you know, just I, I wish Matt was still on the podcast to an extent where he could just try and pronounce these players' names. <laughs> But there's one other guy that you mentioned earlier that I, I've started to watch clips of because Michigan State's not very good this year, so they're not on TV. But Miles Bridges, I love, I him. love his athleticism. His I love lefties. Mm-hmm. Lefties have the most beautiful jump shots, and he just he reminds me of Stacy Ogden with a jump shot, like Plastic Man coming out of UNLV, where he was dunking everything left-handed uh, around the rim, just like, super explosive. But Stacy couldn't shoot like this guy. He's he's inconsistent with his shot. You might have saw him on a good game or one of those mixed. He's pretty inconsistent, but I love the tools that he has defensively for like quick switches on pick and rolls, all that stuff. Yeah, he's super athletic. He has he's one hell of an athlete. I just love the tools that he could potentially have, and I've seen him run an offense in a way. So I, I really love Miles Bridges. I mean, he's not shooting terribly. He's shooting 39% from three and 48% from the field. Yeah. It's just a little inconsistent for, but I but love him. But he is a freshman. So and he's, he's a young man. So, and that's, that's another Michigan reason State why I like players are really coached well. So, oh yeah. Tom is a coach players always worth the risk. And that's why I like Lonzo ball of any skill shooting is the, 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 it's tough to do, but it's the easiest one to become good at. I mean, we saw Prime example of who I compared to, Jason Kidd. They called him Asin growing up because he had no J. He's, what, top five or seven in all-time NBA three-pointers made? Nobody would have ever believed that watching him come out of Cal or play with the Mavericks his first couple years. He could not. He was Rondo bad from the three. He got good. I mean, it, it takes a lot of time and effort. I think to a certain extent, a lesser extent, I should say, Will Barton is a good example. He came in. He really couldn't shoot. He put in so much time and effort with those late night gym runs and 
you know, you would just see it and he had that drive and, and that want to be great. And now he's a really respectable shooter that you can't leave open. Um, I think that's all Lonzo Ball has to become. He doesn't have to be Steph Curry or Dame Lillard from three. But if you can be Mike Conley, you know, someone that you just don't want to leave open, uh, he's going to have a lot of success because 6'6", man, with that floor vision, it's almost like what Sean Livingston could be. So we're, we're seeing what Sean Livingston, I think, might have been had he not, you know, tore up his knee. That because, was one of the grossest injuries I've ever seen. Because they both have that floor vision, they have that size, and mm, very. Give me Dennis, give me, give me Dennis Smith. I'll be happy. I'll have a really. But that this is why I love this draft, and why I don't think making the playoffs is that big of a deal this year, unless you can get the sixth seed. I, I want really no part of the Spurs, no part of the Warriors, because that, that those are guaranteed four four games. Four to five game suits. I think if you play the Rockets or the Clippers, if the Jazz somehow make it up that high, there's a chance you can win that series. It might not be a very good chance, but just like last year, anything can happen. And I'll take six, six or seven competitive games. I mean, I, I'm not expecting this team to to light the league on fire, but I definitely don't want any part of the seventh or eighth seed. But it's going to be tough because Portland dug themselves such a large hole, you know, almost halfway through the season. As I mentioned, we're 15 and 21, a game out of the eighth seed, two games back in the lost call of the Kings, but we are now six games back of the Grizzlies for seventh, and seven back of the Thunder from th- or sixth. That, and I guess if if you're looking glass half full, you're also seven back of the Jazz for fifth, seven back of the Rockets for fourth. I think the three teams in the West, barring injuries, are set. You got Golden State, San Antonio. And what I had hoped to have been the Blazers, but it's the surprising Houston Rockets. Those three, I think, are that's that's your one, two, and three. It would take something miraculous for that to change. Then I think you're jumbled up with the Clippers due to the injuries, Utah, Oklahoma City, Memphis, and then I think you've got the other tier, Sacramento, Portland, Denver, and New Orleans fighting for eighth. Now, if Portland catches fire and then other teams get injured last year, like what happened to the Grizzlies, obviously, knock on wood, you don't want that to happen to any team, but... It is the NBA. It is sports. Injuries happen. Uh, then the Blazers could possibly take advantage. But they're going to have to get hot. And it, it starts really with beating teams you're supposed to. But before we go into the preview of this week's uh, upcoming slated games, let's take a quick commercial break from our... For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard podcast, Warby Parker is offering a free five-day home try-on to give you an opportunity to check out their classes. Warby Parker keeps their styles highly curated, fashion forward, extremely wearable, while including high quality lenses and coatings at no additional cost. It's everything you need in one easy package for your glasses needs. To get your home try on today, go to warbyparkertrial.com slash holybackboard. Again, that's warbyparkertrial.com slash holybackboard for your free five-day try-on. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Sage, it is the new year, which means we are that much closer to the trading deadline, and names are already starting to float around, most notably the Atlanta Hawks, who have had an up-and-down season but are currently on the up. They've won three straight. They're 18-16. and But 
They have a couple key unrestricted free agents coming out this season, most notably Paul Millsap and then Kyle Korver, who feels like has been in the league for 15 plus years. Uh, there have been sources that have said one Hawks official was upset they lost Paul Millsap for, quote, you know, pretty much nothing. Take that quote away. It really wasn't what he said, but you get the drift. And they would not like that to happen to Paul Millsap. Uh, I think if you're the Hawks, you probably need to look to move either player. Both players are well into their 30s, probably past their primes. And in the case of Paul Millsap, is going to get an enormous, enormous pay raise and a max contract uh, for a team in the Eastern Conference, of all places, meddling around the fifth or sixth seed. Not really a good idea to just stay in, in that level of the, the tiers because one, he's not getting any better, and two, that's just going to tie your salary down for longer. If you're the Hawks, though, knowing he's an unrestricted free agent, what is your realistic asking price, Sage? Well, I have a friend who works with the Atlanta Hawks, and he told me that Paul Melsep is really worried about his final contract. That is the main thing he is thinking about. So... I, th- I think there's three teams that are possibilities for Paul Millsap. One, the Raptors, because they've always needed that power forward. I'd say if they had Paul Millsap last year, you could you could potentially say they beat the Cavs just because of one, one extra star. I think Paul Millsap's a stud. I think he's a superstar talent. I think the Nuggets are the second. Uh, just because of all those players that are tradable, you're starting to see flaws in some of these players, so it's best to get trade them now. And the wild card, I think, is New Orleans. I think they're going they're going with win now, and I think that that trade that their draft pick is out there. And Anthony Davis said he's going to play center now. And if AD's playing center, I think Paul Millsap's the perfect four. To- How mad would you be if you gave up your first round pick for an unrestricted free agent? If he pro- if he said, even if he, if he resigns, even if he resigns, you would still be okay with that. If he resigns, I'd be fine with it, because I think that teams like you New know Orleans, he's, you know he's going to be thirty two in February. I think he'd be a perfect pair for AD for three or four years. So three or four years versus potentially ten plus with that lottery pick and a good draft. I think that Paul Millsap's better than any free agent New Orleans, Portland can get. So if you think about that, I think the Pelicans are in the place where they need to make a needle-moving trade. Paul Millsap's the perfect match for AD. I'd do it if I was New Orleans. If 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 only trading the first-round pick, a pretty good player, and then some cap stuff, I, I would do it in a second. Yeah, and I think if you're Atlanta, you need to jump all over that because... First round pick? Yeah. Yeah, depending on the protection, a great draft. I do top three protected if I was stud thumbs. That's a great way to you know rebuild quickly if you're the, the Hawks, but you mentioned Denver and Toronto and possibly New Orleans. One, do you think Millsap gets moved? And two, what is the most likely destination? I think in your opinion? Toronto and Denver are probably the most likely. Who would you give the edge to? Maybe Denver because of the the more assets, more assets, and that he's out of their conference. What so do you, you think? think? Denver, uh, I think so. 
I, I, I think Toronto might be looking for Toronto is definitely going to be looking to move. Um, whether it's, you know, cousins or, or Millsap, I think they're ready to get that amazing front court player. I think if you're Toronto, you probably look at cousins first cause he's younger. He's under contract for one more year and he's the better player. Mm. But on the other hand, it is the Eastern conference and anything can happen in seven game series, especially if, if you get to the Cavs. Millsap gives you that chance to match up against Love. You've got that great backcourt. Damari Carroll can do the best job he can against LeBron. Probably still not going to win, but depending depending on what you give up. I mean, it, it all depends on what you can give up. Can you police a team like the Hawks? I don't think so. I don't, well, I mean, Ferry's gone. I don't know who's in charge of them anymore. But interesting fact Paul Millsap's the second best defensive play, uh, power forward in the NBA, according to like all the defensive matrix. So that would help in a lot of ways. He's smart. He'll help Pirtle and all of those young bigs. If if the Raptors can swing it without giving up too much of the depth, I think they should do it. Yeah. Um, his numbers are solid from, from last year and this year, so he's showing not really a sign of drop-off. Although, if those rumors are true that he's just playing for this contract, that's always scary, especially with a player of his age, because then he's like, I've got no really reason to but he's at that he, level. I, I'm never worried about giving a big a big contract to a person with Paul Millsap's type of character. I agree, but there's still that chance. Oh, absolutely, but there's always that chance that anything could happen. I would yeah. bet on Paul Millsap to play out his contract uh, mentor the young bigs of whatever team he gets traded to and be a very good player for three years and then probably take a step back. Should the Blazers go after Paul Millsap? No. Why? I don't think... I, actually, if they are win now, right now, sure. I think he would... But you got to keep Vonley. I would want Paul Millsap to mentor Noah Vonley throughout the entire contract. So if they made the trade and we're playoffs now, we want to be we want to be there and we want to compete, sure, let's make that trade. I would would you trade your the first round pick for Paul Millsap? No. I I can't I can't bring myself to do it because now if you would have told me last year that we were 44 and 38 made the second round of the playoffs and that at this time this year we have a chance to acquire Paul Millsap. Probably going to do it. One, because I think we're um, in a much better situation now, so the draft pick's a lot lower. Um, but we are just nowhere near where that team that's, was. That's why I said no. But if and we we're did... Even, we're even further away from that projection where we should be. Uh, we're six games under five hundred, almost halfway through the season. That's, that's no laughing matter. That's a ways away. We're not even in that third tier of the Western Conference. We're in that fourth mediocre, hey, we're here, we can win some games, but we're going to lose more than we should type of team. We don't really have an identity. We have a great backcourt. We have a defense that plays well when the scheme has changed, but they can't play what the coach really wants to do. We lack front court scoring. Yes, he... T- uh, um, defense, rebounding, yeah, scoring. Defense, he gets court all court. that mental work. He, puts, he yeah. puts the check marks all in those boxes, but... I would probably give up the first round pick if he was 28 instead of going on 32. I just think that 
the amount of game he's got left in him. He, remember, he played so hard. I mean, he still does throughout his career, uh, especially coming from Louisiana Tech. Uh, he has averaged always eight to ten boards a game. He was a beast at Louisiana Tech, and he was always a toughness player, always putting his body on the line and just you know banging guys. My thought is just how much does he have left? So I, 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 I did some research on Paul Millsap. He's played 20,000 less minutes than LeBron James. So I don't think... Yeah, but LeBron's 32 as well. Yeah, so he's played he's played a lot less than you think because of the years he didn't make the playoffs. I, I, I would be fine with... I would feel confident that Paul Millsap could make the Blazers a, a very good team. But I don't think we should do it because we're not in the same stratosphere as we should be to acquire Paul Millsap. No, I just don't even think if we have Paul Millsap, Paul Millsap maybe takes it from a four-game series against the Warriors to five, maybe six this year. But do you think uh, the him mentoring our young bigs and all that stuff would be worth it? I think you can find a veteran that can do that for you know just an easier trade. How do you think the fit would be? Depending, I don't know what we'd have to give up, but do you think Paul Millsap as a fit would be good for the Blazers? Oh, Paul Millsap's the type of player who is the fit for every NBA team. He's a, a great player. Never had any problems in the locker room that have been reported. Like you said, plays great defense, rebounds the basketball. He would essentially be a more offensive Buck Williams. My problem is we do not have our, we have our, our Clyde and Terry essentially, but there's no Jerome Kersey. There's no Kevin Duckworth. Sure as hell isn't a Cliff Robinson. Uh, we don't, we have so many missing pieces that adding our Buck Williams would not take yeah, us to that make level. Sense. But I would love to have, if, if, if this was NBA 2K, I'd already have made the trade. But it isn't. It's real life. And I, I just have a, a love for the draft. And I'll be the first person to admit that. Um, now, if, if you, you say you get Paul Millsap, you give up that first pick, and maybe it's what, Al Farouk and maybe Mario. Oh. Whatever. Um, then you're looking at a team, let's say, instead of having the 10th pick in the draft, they play pretty well at 17. I probably think about it. Um, and while we are the, I think a top three youngest team, Neil really hasn't made a draft pick since 2013 with CJ McCollum. We were out of the draft in 2014 due to the Gerald Wallace trade. Um, definitely worth it. And we were out of the draft in 2016 due to the Aaron Aflalo trade. Not worth it. Um, we traded our 2015 pick, Rondi Hollis Jefferson from Mason Plumlee. So while we're still young, we still, outside of Vonley, who we had to trade Batum to get, don't really have that young guy that we can say, this is the future of the team. Dame is in his prime years, and is he? CJ, CJ's getting close. I think Dame's getting there. I mean, getting there? Close. I don't think he's there yet, though. No, but he's getting in there. Yeah. Um, he's still playing really great basketball, and the best is yet to come. So I understand wanting to win now, but... I think Kevin Durant really changed everyone's strategy yeah, when he absolutely. signed with the Warriors because even if we sign Millsap, we're not winning the championship. And I think acquiring Millsap is a championship move. Like you look to him to take you to that next step, and it, it's it's going to be Cavs Warriors three barring any injuries because that is the big three versus the big four, LeBron versus KD. Um, everyone can see it coming, and that's probably the way it's going to be for the next couple of years. So with uh, the CBA, they did a really good job of making it fair, but 
the Cavs and Warriors are grandfathered in so they can go over the This is an edit point. I, I think I said some stuff about the new CBA agreement with, and I didn't actually have the information in front of me. And I didn't really want to find it uh, because it, it was it was getting late. I just, so it's a brand new day. So here's the, the information I think that's prevalent about the Portland Trailblazers and any small market team with this new CBA agreement. The last CBA agreement made extensions for the players pointless. If they signed a contract, they basically only guaranteed themselves three extra years of the salary already pegged at what they were. So if you were a $10 million player playing at a $15 million player value, you could only get paid as if you were a $10 million player. What players would do is they would wait to become a free agent and then sign a five-year contract at whatever the team could hit based on bird rights. Now, you're going to sign an extension and it can be as if you signed a new contract. As long as you do it the year before the extension kicks in. They've also kicked in the amount of raises to these players and they've added a designated player boost which allows you to give 35% of a cap before the player extension will kick in. So, there's more extensions and the original team can give a lot more to keep the high-priced talent. With that said, there won't be as much world-class talent being moved in free agency, and the Warriors already have their super team, so they can keep their super team for as long as they want, and that's why I said they are grandfathered in with this new CBA. So, back to the show. Thank you all for listening. But on to this week, Portland has three games on tap and, and really should come out two and one at the very least. Tomorrow night, Golden State Warriors in Golden State. This will be the third meeting of the season between uh, the two teams that matched up in the playoffs last year. It's looking like Damian Lillard is going to be reported uh, as doubtful going into that game. If that holds up, that would be his fifth straight game that he has missed due to that that ankle injury. Uh, as we all know, Portland suffered a 45-point loss Less than a month ago, December 17th in the Bay Area, and it wasn't much prettier uh, November 1st in Portland, losing by 23. In both contests, Portland gave up 127 and 135 points. That is not good. That's an average of 131 points per game they gave up. Sage, I know they're one of the top three worst defenses in the league. But is there any hope that Golden State maybe takes them lighter because Damian Lillard will not play? I don't think they will just because of they just played this team pretty hard a few months ago in the playoffs. I don't think they'll forget about that. And there's always this little bit of a rivalry between the Warriors and the Blazers. I mean, I can think back to when Bogut and I think Rolo got into a, a little bit of a scuffle. Isn't it Mo Williams too? I think, yeah, Mo Williams. So I, I don't think the the coaches will let him, um Take them easy, and like the recent history, most of the star players were there. I mean, minus one for that series. I I, I don't think they'll forget about it. Yeah, I think Portland hit, poked uh what is it? Poked the bear, woke up a sleeping dog, sleeping giant. So whenever they see Portland, no matter who's on that roster, I think they're going to come out 
uh, ready and, and willing. If you're Portland, though, what do you have to do to keep this game within, within striking distance? First thing, I think it has to be a five to six point game throughout not only the first quarter, but the first half, especially I think those first six minutes of the first quarter. If you can play them evenly, just withstand that first, you know, right hand haymaker, because that's what playing the Warriors is all about. It's they're going to send a lot of haymakers your way. It's going to be like a lot of, you know, storms coming in left and right because they have four all NBA players. So there's not one time on the floor that not uh, that there's at least one of those guys on the court, which is stupid, ridiculous. So I, I think that uh, we won't out-talent them. Even with Damian Lillard, we will not out-talent this team. But what we can do is out-tough them, out-hustle them, and play our asses off. They have more talent than us. We have to make it a little more ugly and play tough defense. If I had to place a wage on this game, which I, I am not, but I think it goes similar to the San Antonio game we saw on December 30th. I don't think Portland ever gets up. 10 to 12 points, but I think it's a close game, and then you're going to see the better team pull away, probably late third, fourth so who quarter. So do, who does the defense focus on? Because the whole deal with that that was to get it out of their best player. I mean, if they get it out of KD's hands, he can just throw it to Steph or Clay Thompson for an open J. So what, what, what would the defense focus on? Or? I think if you're Portland, you have to just play sound defense. And what I mean by sound defense is the communication is top-notch. You say you're going to switch, you're going to switch. Okay, you're going to go under the screen, you, you, you communicate that. Are you going to go over? Are you going to hedge? Are you going to do any traps? Every person has to know exactly what they're supposed to do in every situation. Uh, transition defense is going to be key in this game. I think transition defense will determine whether Portland is competitive or whether we see another 45-point blowout because that's where the Warriors will get you. They're not going to go to the rack for two they're going to rub it in and shoot that three because they feel like that's a layup for them. And to be honest, it probably is for most of their shooters. Portland, if they get too cute offensively and make lazy passes, that's going to lead to transition buckets for the Warriors. And any one of those guys has the, the, the chance of just going off. I mean, we saw Clay get 60 points in 30 minutes, something I've never seen an NBA player do before in my life. Uh, he scored 37 in the quarter a couple of years ago, which is just ridiculous. Steph Curry's the, the back-to-back MVP unanimous last year. Durant's a former MVP. Draymond Green just got a triple-double the other night. Oh, and yeah, they have the finals MVP on their bench as a six-man in Andre Iguodala. And they only resurrected JaVale McGee's career. So everything is going really well for this Golden State team. They have the best record in the NBA. They've only lost uh, twice all year at home. And they put up 117 points per game. It doesn't... I think if you're Portland, this is a game where you don't try to do too much. You try to focus on one or two things and execute them really well. Um, if I'm the Blazers, I try to keep the ball out of Steph and Clay's hands. I think those two, especially Clay, last year when he went off, was the reason we lost the game. I mean, he took games over. There was a game last year, I think he scored 20 in the first quarter, really put it out of our, our reach. I think... Portland would be smart to go after Draymond Green early, maybe get him to, get him into foul trouble. It seems like whenever he goes off the floor, he's almost like their glue guy, their heart and soul, our Wesley Matthews of a couple years ago. So if you can get him out of the game early, that's going to open up a chance. Somebody's going to have to shoot for them. I know it's crazy, but when you have an embarrassment of riches, like the Golden State Warriors, I, I, I let Kevin Durant shoot jump shots. That's what, not open jump shots, but I, I beg him to go 
a little bit more one-on-one and shoot jumpers because I would much rather have him shooting it than Steph or Clay. I mean, Steph is probably the best shooter I've ever seen. So going from an A++ to an A, it's probably a good move for our survival. But I, I, I mean, I see this as a loss. I mean, you, when you took your shot a few year, a few week, uh, months ago, I, that was insane. I, I, I just don't see it this this time, especially if Dam's out. No, and if you're, you're Portland, to keep it close on the offensive end, I really liked what they did against Sacramento. Not the game we won; it was actually the game we lost in Sacramento. Uh, and we went away from it. It was CJ working that pick and roll, bringing their big man defender out into space, clearing it out, and letting him isolate um, off of that pick and roll, getting those nice mid-range jump shots, which he is just lethal at. And then also taking that another notch is once they start following McCollum, throw that lob over the top to Mason Plumley because he could get busy down there. They don't really have an interior presence. Draymond is an amazing one-on-one defender, and he's great actually switching out on the perimeter, but they don't really have a shot blocker. So if I'm Portland, I'm Kevin aggressive. Kevin Grant is their shot blocker. Exactly. If you're Mo Harkless, you know, go on the baseline, try to throw down some dunks, do a lot of driving dishes, a lot of cutting, move without the basketball, do not stand around, do not get into a three-point shooting contest with this team. I think we are going to see a more competitive game. Unfortunately, without Damian Lillard and on the Warriors' home court, it's still probably going to result in another 15-20 point loss. That has more to do with how great this Warriors team is and where Portland is at currently, especially without Dame. Um, as long as we don't get blown out by more than 20, I think you can just kind of toss that game, move on, and then try to rebuild that that the momentum we have built over these past three games and take it into home. Um, home has been a place Portland hasn't played a lot recently, and they get a chance to get a look at the, the new-look Lakers. No Kobe Bryant, um, but Luke Walton's in the fold. It's a fun team. They're actually going to see the Lakers two out of the next three games. Um, it's a TNT game. It's national televised, uh, 7.30 start here on the best coast. And if I'm Portland, I'm anticipating playing this game without Damian Lord once again. Uh, if, he's, if he's not going to play Wednesday, like we said, he's likely not going to play Thursday in a back-to-back scenario. But this is still a beatable, a winnable game. Um Sage, you've watched more Laker basketball than I have. Where are areas that Portland can take advantage of this Lakers defense? I, I seriously think that Lou Williams might be their best player right now. His usage rate is pretty insane. And for him being the sixth man off the bench, I, I think the Blazers will get a good lead when they throw their their starters at you. But they'll get it back with the bench unit. That's Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson, and uh, Brandon Ingram doing most of the damage. But Lou Williams, when the ball's in his hand, he puts up numbers. So I think number one is defending Lou Williams. This game reminds me an awful lot of a game earlier in December. One of our only wins, it was against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Portland was coming off of a back-to-back, a long road trip, and the Thunder were waiting for us. This is kind of be the same scenario. The Lakers had probably one of their most impressive wins of the years of the, of the year, excuse me, uh, beating the Memphis Grizzlies tonight, one sixteen to one hundred two. But they don't have another game until Thursday. Portland has to play in the Bay and then go home. This is going to be all about who brings the energy, especially going up against a team who is just as young as you, maybe younger. They're going to have to want this game more. It kind of, both teams have similar schemes, 
and their guards are very are most of the skilled players on both teams are their guards and and wings. So it should be a good game scheme and team wise. But I mean, if Dame's not playing, I don't feel as confident as I would if Damian was playing. I mean. Yeah, if Dame doesn't play, I think it puts an extra onus on that bench. You mentioned the Laker bench with Brandon Ingram and, and Lou Williams and Jordan Clarkson. Uh, probably one of the better benches, especially offensively in, in the entire NBA. Lou Williams probably going to get six man of the year if Eric Gordon goes back to earth. I think Portland really needs bench production. And you're looking at guys like Shabazz Napier, uh, Noah Vonley, Ed Davis, Myers Leonard, uh, the bigs. That, that three we just talked about, Vonley, Davis, and Leonard – Combined for zero points in Portland's last game. That cannot happen. They need some production. More than just rebounds, more than just block shots. We need to get some post-scoring from those guys because if Dame's gone, I, I don't think you can continuously rely on CJ to get 43 to beat bottom feeders in, in West. Um, but and one those guy, bigs that they have are very energetic. I mean, T-Rob has, gets minutes, Tariq Black gets minutes. These are athletic uh, garbage men, just like Ed Davis is. So Ed Davis has to show who the the real man is when T-Rob's trying to get those offensive rebounds. And you're looking, you're talking about a big, look no further than Julius Randle, who is the same draft class as Noah Von Ley. It'll be interesting to see how Portland defends him. He's coming off of a triple-double, 19 points, 14 boards, 11 assists. Um, an incredible performance from him against uh, a really good Memphis front line. So it'll be interesting to see if Al Farouk is able to handle him because the Lakers are a traditional team in the sense of they've got... We, a, we need to praise Al Farouk Aminu more because he went from guarding LaMarcus to Cat to, to all these talented, skilled players, and we never give him props for how good he is as a defender. He's easily the best player, best defensive player on our team. He is a great defender. Uh, if he, he could only become more consistent offensively. Oh, absolutely! But it's not like we can take him out because our defense is so good. No, he he he's the he's the glue guy. He's the one that hedges. He's the one that does all these things, and he's he's gonna have another tough matchup against Julius Randle. Yeah, the Lakers are a traditional team. They've got the big five in Mozgov. Randle's a prototypical four. Luol Deng is a three. Russell and Young are tall for their positions. Um, Young's pretty consistent with the three now. He's been, and his defense has been improved. Before you would have assumed Swaggy P doesn't really play defense. Now it's it's pretty locked down. So I think if you're Portland, you're happy to see the Lakers hit 17 of 33 from three-point land tonight. That would be very unrealistic I think for it to translate over another night I mean we're talking about Nick Young and D'Angelo Russell combining to shoot 12 for 21 from three uh that is just ludicrous numbers and you look at the Lakers I think Portland hustle board blocks steals rebounds Portland's off coming off of the back-to-back they're coming home Lakers are going to be waiting for them who is going to be the hungrier team is Portland serious about this playoff push? Whether we like it or not, are they serious about it? Because you cannot expect to make the playoffs, regardless of who's your competition for the eight seed, by losing to a Laker team in Portland. Uh, the Lakers are 13 and 25. They are just 5 and 15 on the road and 3 and 7 in the last 10. So they're definitely a team struggling. They got a big win against Memphis. Will they be like Minnesota and 
Dallas is a good win. I, I don't think we need to come out as hard as we need to to follow the game, or are they going to say, hey, we need to start stringing together some depths? Um, I think it's going to be more of the former. Uh, I think Portland gets this one done. They know their clock's ticking a little bit quicker than the Lakers. Lakers can take their time. Portland's got to get it and go. Uh, th- this is it, this is like now or never time. I know it's crazy to say that at the beginning of the new year, but we've already said how far back they are of the standings of where they're looking to go. Um, we talk about their home-heavy schedule. That shift's not going to matter if you don't win games against Lakers. I, I think Portland wins um, 8 to 10 points. I think the guy who's going to have a big night for Portland, CJ McCollum. I, I know that's an easy answer, but... Dame gets buckets against them. Scoring point guards give them fits. And they don't, like, I would put Mozgov in the pick and roll all day long out at the top of the key. Make him move. Get him away from the basket as much as possible. And then execute those lobs to Mason. Uh, find Mo Harkless and Aminu on those backdoor cuts to get them layups at the rim. I think free throw attempts are going to be a big factor in this game. Can Portland live at the line and not just get into lazy shots because we've seen this team, especially against the Mavericks, take really bad shots early in the shot clock and not make, um, I think a mediocre defense is putting it kindly at best uh, defense, making them work. Don't bail them out. Make the Lakers work every time down the floor. They will get a win. So outside of CJ, I think it's going to be free throws, hustle border, max factors. I got the win. What do you say, Sage? It's at home, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's kind of big for me. I think Evan Turner is going to have a big game because there's those small guards that he can bully. I mean, Lou Williams doesn't scare me, and same with Jordan Clarkson. So I think Evan Turner will be the bench guy that steps up, and I think we win because it's at home. I think the most important game of the season so far is going to be Saturday night against the Detroit Pistons. I'll be at the game most likely unless it snows more. This is a big game for numerous reasons. Not only is it a home game, I think we could see the return of Dame, but the Pistons last year really broke our backs early on. We had some some pretty impressive wins. Um, we were starting to surprise people. This was before we kind of went in our rut and way before we made our, our push. They came back from like, 21 down to beat us by 17 all in one half and it was all because of the way we defended the pick and roll with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond Uh, we made Reggie Jackson look like Kyrie Irving like a Hall of Fame basketball player he was getting anything and everything he wanted in the paint and what he didn't get Andre Drummond was cleaning up because there was nobody helping out to box him out this will be the test I think to see how real Portland's updated defensive Mm, scheme does it work because you know, the Pistons, they're not going to knock anybody's socks off record-wise. They're not even in the playoffs right now. They're 16-21. and 21. I will uh, say they play very hard for Stanley. They play very, play very hard. They actually have a lot of talent. I'm pretty surprised they're not closer to the playoff picture right now. Um, I'm not certain what's going on there, but they are I think they, they get up for the tougher games and lose, but then the, when they play against lesser teams, they just forget how to play really good basketball. And they're a tough matchup for Portland for a couple reasons. One, they have a great wing defensively. Yeah, Kentavious Caldwell Pope. He's able to go on one of the defenders or one of our our main offensive weapons, Damon CJ. I think he's a top five uh, perimeter defender in the NBA. That's how good I think he is. Then they have Andre Drummond, who 
is just a nightmare for our He's big. He's a problem. I mean, that's just... Um, there's no other way to put it. He is just a man-child. Like, 14 points, 14 boards, a block, a, per, a PER of almost 22. Um, he's only 23 years old. And he's 6'10", 6'11", 280. He's got a longer wingspan. Just athleticism for days. I think the big key when you're seeing the Pistons is points in the paint. Can we stop them from scoring in the paint? I, I don't know. Between Reggie Jackson and Drummond gobbling up all the rebounds and easy putbacks that's going to be key i expect us to lose that category but it's got to be competitive the other x factor is second chance points in defensive rebounding for portland we have got to limit the opportunities that the pistons have one of the first steps in becoming a better defensive team is limiting the the uh, the opposition's uh, chances at, at, at scoring the ball um if you're not a great team chances are you're probably not going to stop a team if they have two to three chances every time down the court I, I think this is where the, they have to stick to that scheme of blitzing Trey while he's posting up. It takes longer for post ups to happen in the NBA, so you've gotta you've gotta take your chances, make him pass it to. I mean, Marcus Morris and KCP scare me so much less than Andre Drummond in the post getting comfortable with three or four dribbles in the paint. I mean, he he's talented and skilled enough to to make. 80% of all of those shots where he gets so many dribbles in the paint. They have Tobias Harris playing real long minutes. They got KCP. They got uh, Marcus Morris. All of these players are very skilled defenders and can hit threes. I'm kind of worried about this game, but if the Pistons come out flat, this will be a pretty easy win, but it, it, it's a little bit scary because of that Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and roll of last year just is so fresh in my mind when I think of the Pistons. And it's scary because the guys like Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris have tendencies to play us really well. Um, looking at the box scores from last year, Tobias had 25 points on 13 attempts in a victory against us last uh, 2015 December, um, December 18th. Um, Marcus Morris has always really given us fits for whatever reason when he was with the Kings or excuse me when he was with the Suns and he in when they beat us 123 to 103 um last March in the Palace of Auburn Hills he had 19 points uh we didn't really have an answer for him um and then they got Stanley Johnson off the bench they just have wing talent for days they just have a lot of depth in, in that victory I was referencing they had six players in double figures led by Reggie Jackson 30 uh, the dude absolutely killed us last year. Um, let me bring up his his splits against Portland in 2015-16 right quick. Against the Blazers, 35 points per game, which is just really unacceptable if you're the Blazers defense. You've given up 35 points per game to Reggie Jackson, seven boards, excuse me, seven assists, three boards, and he shot 57% from three and 58 from the field. Um, and he's not the, even like a third he's a third tier point guard in this NBA and he got to the line eight times per game in those two contests so you're looking at 35 points on that efficient of shooting um, it was almost like Darren Williams last year we we made point guards look like point gods and I think the big key is not even letting Detroit get into that pick and roll situation uh, you're trapping you're blitzing you're doing whatever you can to not let them operate because 
Detroit reminds me of a great power running football team. When they get the lead, there is no stopping or catching them because they're just going to pound and pound and pound you. And that's what that pick and roll does. It is just, it takes time off the clock. It slows the game down and it gets them a great look at the basket. And it's a close look at the basket. So the chances of you stopping them, scoring and continuing to do that while trying to save time on the clock, chances are slim to none. You have to force some turnovers and you have to get out on the break and speed up the tempo because if you get out a little bit, it's harder for them to come back because they can't just continuously go to that pick and roll. They're going to try to start shooting threes. They're going to try doing something else. Um, so I think that's, that's that's my other X factor is get out early, try to you know play keep away essentially. Which player do you think is going to have a big night for the Blazers team? Are we assuming Dame plays? We are. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm saying Mo Harkless. I was going to say Dame, but that's too easy. I think Mo Harkless is going to have a big game. Um, one player I don't think will be able to defend well is Ish Smith, their backup point guard, because he's so quick. We don't have the we don't defend well against quick point guards. They actually played much better with Ish Smith at point. You know, it's hard to mesh Reggie Jackson back in after a long injury. So, I, I, I'm kind of nervous. I actually think we take this out, even if James back. Call me crazy. One, I think we win. Go 2-1 in the week. I think it's a Myers game. Well, yeah, yeah we, have, we have to have Myers. It he has does. to be a Myers game because you have to get Drummond out of the paint. He's getting open looks. and. Is he inconsistent? Hell yes. But, and there's a but, there's a game every three or four games that he catches fire. All right, it's got to be this one. This is the perfect matchup for him, just like the Kings. He, if he can take Drummond out, and even, and even Boban, they signed that that you know that beast Aaron from San Antonio. Too. They've got a lot of big dudes that clog up the paint. Myers is going to have to have a big night. Um, he's going to have to be confident in his shot, and he's going to have to knock down a couple. Um... If he doesn't do that, the chances of Portland winning significantly go down. I know it's tough if you're a Blazer fan and you're relying on a, a bench player to kind of be the, the rhyme or reason why you win or lose a game. But given our current roster makeup and their, the way they're constructed, the matchup-wise, it's really one of our advantages we have if it works. And when you're six games under 500, your advantage better work. Otherwise, you're pretty much fucked. Yeah, I... Um, so not to put too much pressure on Myers. I, I mean, Myers, we have... need Myers to play against Dre, but we also need to play big minutes against Aaron Baines and Boban. I mean, this is a traditional power team, and we need our one powerfully built center to play pretty damn good defense. Yep, and so along the lines with our defense having a big challenge, I think it's a big challenge to start winning. You know, we talked about earlier in the podcast uh, this year, not focusing on winning streaks, but like baseball series, is winning two out of three, you know, three out of five, taking that that mentality of not getting losing streaks and you're winning more um, series type chunks. This would be a nice series to win. That's why it's huge. We talked about the defense, but the pick and roll. It's even more important when you factor in this could be a good turning point for Myers, especially if you're trying to showcase him. Uh, teams need to be able to see that okay, this guy playing tra- traditional power centers is his you know, forte, can he do it? 
So there's a lot riding on this game, and I think it's crazy to say for a game in early January against a non-playoff team from the Eastern Conference, but the way it just aligns, it, it kind of makes sense for it to be such a big game. I think the Blazers are going to make the playoffs. I think it's it starts with this week. We've already started to see the early signs of them coming to life with the defense. Um, they're going to start stringing together some wins. The schedule eases up a bit. Um, so if you're a big on the playoffs, it's going to be a good week for you. I got the Blazers going two and one. It's going to be a tough game, but I think they're going to they'll win by like two or three. It might come down to the last bucket by one of our guards. I'm going one and two week. I think we get our one and only win versus the Lakers at home. All right, Sage. It is about 11.38 on a Tuesday night. I think it's time to wrap things up. So for all of our listeners out there, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. We're also available on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. Hit us up on social. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Holy Backboard. And if you feel the need to send us an email, you do so um, via holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. Sage, any last words? If you play 2K well, pass, play defense. Hit me up at the Sage 504 at on Xbox Live. I think that's how it is for any NBA player. Play, play defense, be unselfish, and oh, want, want to win the game. A lot of these 2K players think they're hard and last year. Just don't give a shit about defense, and I'm dribbling. I'm having mine. Well, it's going to be all about defense for the Blazers in the new year, and if they want to have uh, a good resolution, it starts on that end of the floor. What's your New Year's resolution? New Year's resolution? Um, one, to run more. I ran uh, about – my goal was to run 100 miles last year. I ended up getting 280, so now That's my shit. goal is to do 365. Um, two, to read a book every month. I started in July of last year all the way through December, so I'm trying to keep up that trend of reading a, a really good book every month. And just to stay stay healthy. Um, you know, I'm in my 30s. I don't, you know, just want to stay healthy. So get active, kind of stay at my current size. Uh, I gained actually not a lot of weight, but I last year, because I love stouts, I, I love winter beers, and beers are pretty filled with calories so uh yep i gained a little bit of weight but i was able to to keep it off and um you know that's kind of what i want to do just also continue to save money so that's all those are some good things to do what about you my friend um for me personally i want to drink more water because i think like most americans i'm pretty like chronically dehydrated um for my business sage audio productions i want to have more podcasts so, I mean, right now, this is really the mainstay of our of the network is just holding backward. I know Eminem's part of it, but it's so inconsistent. So I want to have more shows, more more things to talk about. And then I want to move to Portland. That, that I mean, that is the goal. I'm, uh, I'm trying to do it on my own, my own money. I don't want to have my parents help me. I want it all me. So, again, developing shows and... And stuff is the main way I do that. So, again, support the sponsors. They it, they help you and I. I mean, this the show is they help it stay free, and that's like a huge thing. So, again, thank you to all our sponsors. Thank you to all the listeners, and happy new year to each and every one of you. I hope all of your resolutions happen. And yeah. Oh. Before we sign off, 
What is your Blazers New Year New Year's resolution? What does that mean? What does that entail? Whatever you want it to entail. Is it me personally, or is it the players doing it? The team. Oh, okay. I, I think they have to stick. They have to be twentieth at defense or better for the rest of the year. My New Year's resolution for the Blazers: make a trade. This roster was not constructed to just play out the string. To I be, mean, we have to way be, too many A. Like, we need more B and A players. We have so many C plus and C players. And when you have that many C players that are real NBA players, a lot of these, some of these players become DNP. And if they struggle, they just move on to the next guy because they don't see that much of a skill difference. We need to be more. We need to have more talent, more B's and A's instead of just straight C's. I just want to see what Damon CJ can do with a really strong defensive front court, maybe even a, a low post score, somebody who would get buckets down there. Before we even think about making a move with our backcourt, we need to give them some some weapons to utilize their strength. So that's my New Year's resolution for the Blazers. Make a move. This roster, it, when all the signings were made this summer, it was with the intention of a consolidation trade. I want to see that happen. And I'd love the best pick possible. Oh, man. I, like, one of my favorite blog posts of all time is this New Orleans uh, Bourbon Street Shots post where they talk about the value of a draft pick. To get a A or a B player, you have to be in the top five. Like, the best chance of getting that is being in the top five. I don't think we can achieve that without some help from the lottery gods. But... Yeah, like I said, either get that six, either get that six seed or better, or get a great pick. Um, because as we saw in 07, Portland had like the sixth or seventh best chance to win the lottery. They ended up doing it, so that's a realistic realistic shot at, at doing it. So if they could get there, that'd be great. But if they play great towards the end of the season and move up the draft or move up the playoff standings like they did last year, that would be amazing as well. I just want them to kind of make a decision either way and not kind of float around. I don't with, want to be middling. No. But I think that's about it. Sage, thank you again for a great episode. And to all of our listeners, have a happy new year. Hope you had a great holiday. And let's go, Blazers.